You're listening to the Flow Theory Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to the Flow Theory Podcast, a Fresno State football legend, Marcus Riley, the 2007 Whack Defensive Player of the Year, a man that laid an absolutely ferocious hit on Colt Brennan back in the day. Hey, Marcus, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me, Wade. Really appreciate you coming on, man. One of the big things I talk to everyone that's coming on, come on the podcast, I talk to guys about their moments of flow and being in the zone. Why don't you talk about your moments of flow that really stand out to you from your football career? Uh, moments of flow and really being in the zone, I would say um, definitely my entire senior year. You know, I think um, I didn't have much of a junior year recovering from an ACL in a sophomore year. So it was, you know, in order to get a uh, an opportunity for the NFL, I had to have basically my best season of my life. And um, I felt like I was in flow that entire season. Was there was there any game that really j- jumped out at you, Marcus? I know, God, you made a play in that Toledo game. There was a play where you cleared a guy. A guy tried to go low on you. You cleared him like you just jumped right over him. And then you chased down. I think you chased down the quarterback from like five or six yards away. I was like, geez, like that was crazy. You you made some crazy plays on your 2007 highlight tape, dude. Yeah, definitely. That was definitely a play where I felt like I was in the zone. I mean, and I would I would attribute that play to film study because that running back that week, I knew any time a linebacker had blitzed, he went low. And so, you know, I kind of knew going in the game, if I blitzed, um, I'm jumping and, um, you know, and that's exactly what happened. So it didn't plan out, pan out exactly how I wanted it because every linebacker dreams of jumping over the the blocker and crashing the, uh, crashing the, the quarterback all in one with the quarterback had took off running right when I jumped. So I definitely did was able to still get into that play. And, uh, you know, one of the things that Mike Vick talked about in his documentary, Marcus was, um, there was like a moment in a play where everything was moving in slow motion for him, even though the players were running at full speed. Did you ever have any sort of visions like that? Any sort of plays like that during your career? You know, I think that was, it's almost that I, I believe that happens more on offense. To mm-hmm. be honest, I remember plays like that as an adolescent or in youth football or even in high school, where getting the ball, everything seems to slow down. Um, but I think uh, as I got over, I went more to the defensive side. Everything was react now and go, you know. And so I never got the slow down motion that type of in the zone on uh, defense. But I definitely running the ball young. There were a few games and different opportunities where, you know, everything had slowed down and you kind of see everything coming, coming together, the blocks being made and which way you're going to cut. You got to really kind of figure it all out with your vision. I think when you're on the defensive side, everything is a reaction. So you're reacting to, you know, everything that's going on instead of, 
um, making a way when you have the ball. Yeah, you know, that's a really good description, Marcus. Um, one thing I want to ask about you about is I want to hear about your recruitment process coming out of high school. I know you have some serious connections to the Fresno State Bulldog program. Your cousin, who, by the way, I'm amazed that this guy is not in the Hall of Fame. Henry Allard, I, I saw that someone was campaigning for him to be in the Hall of Fame. I, I got to imagine he's going to be in the NFL Hall of Fame someday. But Henry Allard's jersey is actually retired at Fresno State. So I'm curious for you, were you just Fresno State all the way from day one? You know what? I was not Fresno State all the way from day one. You know, I definitely had ties there, like you said, because of my cousin going there. And my mom is from Fresno. And so Henry was her first cousin, little cousin growing up. And so I always knew about Fresno, but I grew up wanting to go to UCLA. Right. So and and did UCLA not, not talk to you that much during the process? Talk to me, talk, no, walk me I through didn't get your any process. Love from UCLA. You know, I went to, I went to a UCLA camp after my freshman season in high school. And this was before my growth spurt. And now, so even at my biggest, I was an undersized linebacker. And so, you know, freshman going to my sophomore year, they group us up at the camp with, you know, the juniors and the seniors. And so, you know, I was one of the smallest guys, one of the slowest guys, but I still had a knack for the football and I knew how to play. And so I kind of got lost in the shuffle at the camp. They had their eyes on guys they were already recruiting. And obviously I didn't run a fast enough time or do anything as an athlete that really stood out at that time. And, you know, I felt like I wasn't good enough to be division one um, going into my junior varsity year. And so I was never really a big recruit. You know, at that point I decided I wouldn't go to any more camps because I felt like it was more aimed towards combine type of attributes. And that was, that's never been my forte. Um, I have football speed is what they say. Yeah. Um, and so um, going into my junior year, um, you know, because I played one, of, you know, I was one of the only guys on my Fresno State football team that played freshman football and then JV football and then two years of varsity. A lot of guys always played up, but I played at every level. And so um, I had I developed late, you know, and, and was still developing and still growing. And so my junior year in high school, we won the section championship, San Joaquin 14 and 0. And we had the best running back in the city at that time. Um, who Fresno State was recruiting, and he was getting letters from all over the country. Fortunately, you know, that added eyes to our games, and Fresno State happened to be um, at one of my games as a junior, and I jumped out to them um, just a little bit. And so Fresno State was always number two on my list. I wanted to go to UCLA. But I, I had always said, if I can't go to UCLA, I would love to go to Fresno State. Now, at this time, as a junior, I only had um, Sac State and Portland State were the only schools recruiting me. And uh, I figured I was going to go to Portland State. That was where my, my mind was mine made up between the two. Fresno came on late, and then they offered me uh, my senior year. Now, it's a little different in recruiting now. You know, I think going into my senior year, um, they had called me and told me that they need to watch the first three games and then they're going to make a decision on what they want to do 
And after every game, I had to send them the VHS. And so now I know all these teams, they get on huddle and it's easy access. So I'm sending the film down to Fresno. I'm hoping and I'm wishing because I'm already a fan of Fresno State. I know about them. I'm kind of shocked that they're recruiting me at this time. You know, I'm a 185-pound linebacker um, and not not a big recruit. You know, I think I had three stars at the two stars or something like that at the time. And so when Fresno offered me, I took it right away. And I didn't really wait for it. I wanted to go there and I jumped on it. They were the first uh, Division One school um, that offered me. And so I took it right away. And then right after that, here comes Colorado State. Here comes Boise State. Here comes Oregon State. And they all wanted me to visit and do different things after that. But I was, you know, for a minute, I wanted to just take my trips to have fun. But, you know, my mind was set on Fresno. It was close to home. I had ties there already. And I really wanted to be a Bulldog. And so um, I made it happen. That's awesome, man. Walk me through the hit that you put on uh, the guy in your graphic for our Instagram page. You're tackling the running back from... uh, from Boise. Yeah, I remember that play very vividly. It's on my highlight tape. But um, that was my senior year. Boise actually beat us that game. But uh, I remember that play because um, I think they ran power. And the uh, I was on the backside at, you know, inside linebacker and um, weak side inside linebacker. And they ran power as soon as the guard had pulled. You know, and open up the A gap, opened up on the backside, and I just shot straight through. Um, shot straight through, and the running back ran right into the running back, made a TFL. Um, I think, you know, that created a third and long, and we got off the field, but they still ended up winning that game. But um, I was glad, you know, that <laughs> was a great picture out of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. You know, you played against a couple of the greatest college football teams of all time, man. Like the fact that you you got to play. I know you got hurt in this game, but I got to ask you about it, man. 2005 game versus USC. The USC Trojans, Matt Leinart, Steve Smith, Dwayne Jarrett, Reggie Bush. I think Wendell White. He was probably young on that team, but... Talk to me about your guys' mindset heading into that game. To this day, that's got to be one of the greatest college football games of all time. And uh, I just want to hear your perspective of your your team's perspective going into it. And God, what was it like for you guys in the huddle, like or uh, in the tunnel, coming out for that game? Because that atmosphere was absolutely electric, even watching it. On TV now, man, it just looked like one of the most epic atmospheres ever. Yeah, it definitely was the greatest atmosphere I've ever been a part of. Um, one of the games, one of those type of games you wait your entire life for, to be honest. Um, our mindset going into the game was to win the game. Um, and I, I remember very vividly a conversation I had with my dad the week of that game. And he said to me, you know, if you guys can just keep it close, you know, that'll be good. And, you know, and I remember it pissed me off because 
I'm like, keep it close. <laughs> like, fuck you, dad. Like, We're winning this game. I'm like, yo, I'm like, okay, you don't, okay, you're on their side then. You know, it's kind of like, if you don't believe we're going to win, then, you know, you can keep that energy. Here, here's the USC jersey for you, dad. Yeah, here's the USC. And he's an LA guy. So I'm like, okay, that's how you feel. You know, and I know that he, of course, wanted us to win, but, you know, we're talking about the number one team in the country possibly the best offense in the history of college football. I think, you know, two Heisman yeah. Trophy winners. In the same backfield. backfield. Yeah. With Lindell White. And Lindell White was a player on that team. He actually, we feared him as a running back more than Reggie Bush going into that game because he, he ran for more yards on him. His average was better. <laughs> Reggie Bush was a lot more dangerous in the open field, but those two together, you know, with the <laughs> offensive line that they had. And I think every, you know, all starting 11 guys got drafted, you know, but it was definitely a great team and a great atmosphere going in. I, I remember everybody was a little bit bright eyed and bushy tailed <laughs> going into the game bushy tailed, and kind of oohing and on looking around. And uh, our coach, coach Hill called us in and cussed us out a little bit saying we didn't come here to look around and we almost went live, I think pregame to kind of set the tone and to get ready. Like, yo, we didn't come here to play around. We came here to handle business. And, uh, you know, it was devastating not being able to play in that game. That's the game that everybody remembers. And I just, I think that we would add a different outcome had I, I've been able to finish that game. Yeah, I mean, that game, obviously, Reggie Bush is famous for that game. I mean, that and many other games, but God, over 500 all-purpose yards in that game when he stopped, when he stopped on a dime, like to this day, that's one of the sickest runs I've ever seen, dude. Like the way he, he just completely stopped and cut all the way across the field. That was like his I guess you could call it his Heisman uh, trademark moment, but you guys, yeah, that, we, that was still definitely keep going, keep going. No, I was saying we definitely gave him the Heisman that night. He definitely won it that night. I want to apologize to Vince Young now. No, I'm just <laughs> he, he earned it. He earned it. Reggie Bush was a great player. Um, he definitely earned it. I just feel as though our defense fell apart. Um, not only just Reggie, I think the following week we played Nevada and their running back ran for almost 200 yards. And then the following week after that, we played Louisiana Tech. And I think they had two running backs over 100 yards. And so before the SC game, our defense was ranked number one in the WAC. And uh, after that game and then the following games and then it's against Tulsa as well, our defense really never looked the same. And uh, we went into SC eight and one that year. I, I tore my ACL. We ended up finishing eight and five. So it was very rough. You know, we had a great start to that season with a lot of talent and, and you know, it sucked to finish the way we did um, knowing the type of talent we had on that team. Dude, you guys, that kick returner you guys had in that game, that guy blew me away. Jennings, Jesus. He was he was top ten in the country in kick return and punt return yardage that year. Yeah, no, definitely. He was a player. We're still friends to this day. He ended up playing in the league for I got drafted by Atlanta and played for a few a uh, couple other different teams. 
But yeah, we had guys, you know, I think that that's the, the biggest, the biggest difference between the Fresno States and the USC's are really the bottom half of the roster, because I think you can go to any team in the country and find guys guys that can play the game of football. I think when you, uh, you get to a team like USC, they had that year, they had Ray Malugo on the bench. Oh yeah. He was they, a, they were, he was they were loaded. He was a force on their special teams team, but he couldn't get on the field on defense and we know how good of a linebacker he is. And so that was really the difference in a lot of those SC and the big time teams is, you know, you go to that second string and you're still dealing with a five-star guy, you know, a big time guy. Whereas, you know, you lose a guy like myself on our defense and, you know, the next man up, you know, might not be ready. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty good analysis, Marcus. Definitely agree with you on that. There were a couple other plays on your highlight tape that dude, that were absolutely ridiculous. Like you had, you had a play where uh, Hawaii, Hawaii had like a run where the guy was essentially on the other side of the field and you run about like 10 yards to catch him. Like that was absolutely <laughs> insane. Like you, you basically chased him down straight down the line. Like, and you, it was like you were shot out of a cannon. And then there was a play against God, Utah state. You absolutely destroyed their quarterback, dude. You look like you were shot out of a cannon up the middle at that guy. Yeah. You know, I remember both of those plays and, um, the, 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 uh, similarities between both of those plays is, you know, once I got the read, I had to go. And so the different, you know, on the the play where I hit the guy from Utah State, it was a blitz. And so um, I kind of timed it up just perfectly to where the O-lineman didn't know I was blitzing. And as soon as, you know, the ball was snapped, it kind of opened like the Red Sea. Nobody accounted for me. That's kind of, that's another one of those linebacker dreams where you're not being blocked. <laughs> you just get to run it. You just get to run and hit the quarterback. You know, those, those uh, opportunities don't come too often to where they just don't block you. So you want to make sure you make those plays. Yeah, dude, you absolutely smashed the guy from Utah State. I was like, holy cow. And the play that you're really most famous for, it's, I think the video's gotten like seven, 7,000 views is the hit you put on Colt Brennan in the Hawaii game. Oh my God. That is one of the hardest hits. I I mean, you literally take about a 15 yard run and start diagonal. I was kind of surprised Brennan didn't go out of bounds to be honest, because he, he kind of had the opportunity to go out of bounds and then he kind of decided to bounce it back in. And man, you, you absolutely destroyed him. Yeah, you know, I I attribute that play to a drill I call the banana drill. And it's not really my drill I made up, but basically where you focus on taking away the inside, you know, if you have, because football is a team sport, right? And so uh, I think a problem with a lot of guys when they're pursuing, they're pursuing um, trying to cut the man off. Well, if everybody is trying to cut off the ball carrier, there's always going to be room for that ball carrier to cut back, you know, and the thing about, you know, Colt and, and why he didn't run out of bounds is he's a competitor and, you know, and I was fortunate to play against him 
on three separate occasions. You know, my freshman year, we played against Timmy Chang. Um, but I played against Colt on three separate occasions, and this one being the third time, and I know he competes in that specific play, it was third and seven. And he was thinking, make a first down. And so when his eyes were on the cornerback and he's thinking, do I run over this guy? Do I go around? Do I go out of bounds? Well, you know, it's third down. I got to get to this first down. And by the time he had looked to cut in, you know, I had already, you know, I was already, you know, barreling down on the inside out. And I knew that if he cut back, it was going to be, you know, bad business. And, and normally as a linebacker, you know, when I have an angle like that and I'm just running through the lane, you normally, they normally don't cut back, you know, and it doesn't work out exactly how you see it, but it was either he had a chance to go out of bounds, he would hit our cornerback or hit me. And so I knew that if he cut inside, then I was going to make that play. Yeah, man, that was, that was a monster hit. Certainly one of the biggest I've ever seen. And uh, I know they had to bring in Tyler Gronke after that because he was he was done for the game. And I mean, rightfully so, dude, he was he was out for a couple minutes after that. But, you know, I even I got to talk to him about that hit. And he's like, you know, that's that's football, you know, and that's, uh, you know, a guy that respects the other side of the ball. Like I I think like in the NFL, you know, they're really making the game soft nowadays. I know you as a defender, you probably agree with this, that, you know, way too many flags protecting the quarterback. I see a guy like Tom Brady staring down the referee every other play when he gets hit low. It really makes me sick. I'm not sure how you feel about it, but being a defender in the National Football League, man, you talk about a hard, hard uh, business nowadays, man. Jeez. It's a tough it's a tough job, man. I feel like if you hit a guy too hard, now you're the, the, you're questioning yourself, are you going to get a penalty? You know, and they say the head and neck area, but everywhere where you wear pads is the head and neck area. You know, you have shoulder pads and you have a helmet. You know, the shoulder pads and the helmet were created to not only protect yourself, but to hit, you know. And so it just sucks that the more hurt a guy is, the more likely you are to get a penalty now. And I know I feel like I was part of that last era um, that was able to really hit and we can, you know, you're looking for a defenseless receiver or, you know, anything of that nature without really worrying about getting the penalty for hitting a guy, unless you're trying to spear a guy. But, um, you know, I don't like where the game has gone in that respect. Um, but at the same time, if, if it is going to help out the safety of the game, then I'm all for it. You know, I'm glad I don't have to tackle in this climate because, you know, it's hard. It's hard to know. It's hard to know where to aim, you know, and these guys are moving really fast. And so when guys are moving really fast and full speed like that, um, it makes it very hard to know where to go. You know, these are professionals, you know, and so a lot of times guys are slowing down to make the right play and end up missing the tackle because the other athlete is just, he's so good that if you're not thinking about just getting him on the ground, you know, that one, 
you know, misstep could cost you a play. Yeah, it's it's frustrating for me. Uh, you know, I, I love all the hits. And I mean, I'm probably an offensive guy first and foremost, but I love watching football because I love the hits, you know, and, and I'm not afraid to admit it. You know, it's it's one of the greatest games ever because of that. And, uh, you know, it, it really frustrates me when I watch, you know, watch old highlights of guys like Steve Atwater and uh, guys like that. And you just realize, like, you know, they never would have been able to hit like that in today's NFL. You know, they would have been fined and flagged and like God knows, you know. But anyways. Um, what, what was your favorite memory, uh, for you from your Fresno state playing days, Marcus, like game or just, um, you know, what was your favorite memory from, uh, Fresno state? Favorite memory from Fresno state. Um, man, that's tough. You know, I would have to go, I would have to go. My favorite memory from Fresno state would happen to be my last game. Um, and that's when we played against Georgia Tech in the NPC Computer Bowl in Boise, and we won. And I think, you know, if I were to pick a moment, I'm picking that moment just because it kind of culminated everything together. Being able to – the reason why I went to Fresno State is to not only get an opportunity to play, but to get an opportunity to play against big schools and schools outside of our conference and beat those schools. And so it sucked that a lot of times we came close in these games, losing to Oregon by three or SC by, by eight. And then we beat Washington and some other schools or triple overtime loss to Texas A&M. You know, it just felt good to, to finish my career with a win that last game. I would say that was my, you know, my best memory. Is that when Georgia Tech, they were on the triple option then, right? They were running the triple option then. God, how annoying is it going against the triple option, Marcus? I watched that, and it's it's just infuriating to watch. Like, I hate the triple option, dude. Yeah, you know, it wasn't – honestly, as a linebacker, for me personally, I love it only because it gives you – you have rules and you play by the rules. And so if everybody can be disciplined and play by the rules, you're all designed, you're all uh, assigned a guy. And if you can stay on your assignment, you know, as tedious as it may be, if you can, if you can stay on your assignment, you can dominate that offense. Um, But like I said, it's hard to do, especially when you're on a short week or you don't have that much time to prepare. I think it definitely helped us that we had a month to prepare for Georgia tech. Yeah. Paul Johnson, man. I just, I always couldn't stand watching that offense over the years, dude. It's just, I'd rather watch paint dry, dude, like that triple option, (laughs) but that is, that is a good analysis of that marks. I mean, everyone I hear talk about the triple option, they talk about how disciplined you have to be as a defender. So um, that's a very good description of, of how you had to play it because (laughs) it would just, I Paul Johnson, that guy, it seemed like he would always get in fourth and short. And that guy would go for it on fourth all the time. It was like, is this guy playing like Madden or something? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, drove sure. me nuts, dude. God damn. That guy. <laughs> he was, he was just, he was good at running it. I mean, that's, that's what made them so good. And I get why he ran it because, you know, they can never really get like the exceptional athletes, you know, but 
the funny thing about Georgia Tech is like how in the, I, I still will never understand how the hell they got Calvin Johnson to go there, you know, like when they're running the triple option. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think he came in that the the year after I left, but yeah, you always it's interesting to see how guys, how certain guys end up at certain schools, you know, or or how he was passed up on by certain schools. And I, I think he just wanted to stay at home. I think that was Calvin's uh, biggest reason for going to Georgia Tech. I think he wanted to stay in state, but it was uh, fascinating to me that like you know, out of all places, like, you know, one of the greatest receivers of all time decides to go to a triple option offense. You know what I mean? It was, it was uh puzzling, but you know, I mean, Calvin was going to be great no matter what, you know? So, um, yeah. talk to me a little bit about your, um, experiences in the NFL, Mark. Cause I know you're with the, you were with the Packers and you were with the bears. And then I know you spent a little bit of time in the UFL. So talk to me about your pro career a little bit. Um, okay. Well, to start, you know, um, started off as an undrafted uh, free agent. And so right after the draft, and here's a little story that a lot of people don't know. So during the draft, um, I'm watching, of course, with my family, and we get to the seventh round, and the Rams have two picks. And um, the Rams needed a linebacker. And my cousin was on the staff, Henry Ellick. Mm-hmm. And so I had talked to the Rams earlier that week and I thought for sure I would go there and they ended up drafting two other linebackers in that round. And, um, I was super pissed about it. And so when they offered me a free agent contract, you know, I was so mad I had turned it down and decided to go to green Bay because green Bay didn't draft a linebacker, but hindsight being 2020, you know, when I got to Green Bay, I realized they didn't need a linebacker. <laughs> um, they were pretty stacked. I was kind of like, man, this is the league. This is the NFL. These guys are all good. I don't know how I'm going to make this team. <laughs> uh, they had Desmond Bishop was a third string Mike at the time. God, that's a guy um, from, uh, wasn't, didn't he go to Cal? Yeah, he went to Cal. Dude, he was a beast, he, man. Desmond Bishop was a, was a dog, dude. Desmond Bishop was a beast. He was the third string Mike that year, uh, which just shows you how much depth and how good he they were. And then, um, you know, the third string Will, um, Patrick White. Uh, no, it wasn't Patrick, but White, I believe. He was a great special. He was one of the best special teams guys on the team. And they were just kind of stacked. They just had a great team. Uh, Brandon Chiller was on that team. Um, Bobby, you know, Papinga, AJ Hawk, you know, they just had a, a, a lot of depth at the linebacker position. I didn't have a lot of room there. And I actually didn't make it to camp. And so we're there for OTAs and we're doing all the OTAs. And I get cut. Um, before we even get to camp. And so my bags are packed at home and I'm preparing to go to camp and two days, you know, they already sent me my itinerary to fly out there. So two days before I'm supposed to go, my bags are already packed. I'm ready to go on my journey as an NFL linebacker. And they call me and tell me they're going a different direction and said that I didn't do anything wrong. Um, They just don't have the space. And I think they were giving another guy a shot 
at a different position and I just happened to be low man on the totem pole. And so I was kind of devastated because I didn't have any NFL tape at the time. I didn't think another team would pick me up because the season is getting ready to start and everybody already has their guys. So a guy got hurt in St. Louis, nine days into camp. And they gave me a call and said, uh, Hey, come out here. We got a opening. We want you to sign, want to sign you. And now I'm excited. You know, I get an opportunity. I get another chance. Um, although it wasn't a big opportunity, it was an opportunity. And so my first practice was a live scrimmage. I get there day one. I'm in full belief that I can make this team. Mm. Um, after one or two practices, I definitely felt like my odds were better um, in St. Louis than they were in Green Bay. Um, and it was why they had drafted two linebackers in the seventh round. They needed depth at that position. And so after a couple of practices, next thing you know, I'm starting on all special teams and it hits me that, okay, they're giving me an opportunity. You know, this is my chance to make a play, to make a splash, to do something and make this team. And I didn't play good enough. You know, I was really worried about making mistakes and I didn't do anything special on special teams. And so um, that's why I believe I didn't make that team. Um, the linebacker coach liked me, but at the same time, he told me I can only, I can only do so much. You have to, you know, get these other coaches on your side. I'm, I watch you in individual drills, but they have to see you in some of these preseason games, start making plays. Right. And uh, such a, such a limited, uh, such a limited opportunity window, such a limited opportunity window, because, um, you know, the thing about special teams, a lot of times the play has got to come to you, you know, and right. uh, that's a good point. And, you know, I just wasn't man. The special teams coach called me in the office. He says, how many tackles you got? You know, after I think the first two games uh, and I said, none, he was like, well, you know, I don't care what your potential is when we're looking at your production, you have none, you know? And so it's like, man, like, what can I say? <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I'm not producing, but at the same time, I'm not, you know, I feel like the ball is not coming to me. Yeah. You know? It's, it's so true. The very man. next game on punt. I'm like, all right, I don't care where the ball is at. I'm going to get it. Or, you know, so I go out of my lane on punt and then they cut back where I'm supposed to be. So I'm like, <laughs> Oh man. So, you know, and that's what happens sometimes when you start trying so hard and playing outside of yourself and you're worried about making a mistake. You know, I wasn't playing, you know, comfortable, you know, and that was the first opportunity. And, you know, guys that get drafted or invested money into, you know, they get a chance to um, make, make mistakes. mistakes. Yeah. And stick around a little longer if if there's money, if they if they want you, if they're invested in you, basically. And so, you know, I know that I did have an opportunity. It just was limited. And, you know, I tell guys all the time, I just didn't play like myself when I had the opportunity. But it was still fun. And so, you know, I only had about two and a half weeks to prove myself, whereas I was competing with guys that had four or five months during OTAs and, and whatnot. And I just didn't play good enough, you know? And so I didn't outplay them enough. I felt to make the roster. And so they let me go and um, I'm bummed. I'm bummed again. I'm at home trying to figure out the next move and 
working out and waiting for a call and, you know, you're sitting around hoping guys get hurt, you know, and I'm just, and it sucked for me because I'm a will linebacker and, you know, the NFL is such a copycat league that that was right around the push for three, four defenses. And a lot of the teams that run a three, four defenses, they feel as though I don't, I don't meet their scheme. Um, size wise, you know, I'm limited by how big I am. And so I become why they, they want you to be about 20 pounds heavier or something like that. Not only just heavier, but just bigger, taller, you know, all of those things, you know, and they're looking for the big run stuffers that can play tackle to tackle, or they were looking for those guys um, in 07. Um, Or they're looking for the hybrid rush in guys. Um, which has become more prevalent in today's game, right? A lot of the outside linebackers that are on the all-pro team and get most of the love, in my opinion, are really glorified defensive ends. Yeah. You know, they rush almost every play. Like Von Miller. So, like Von Miller, who's an amazing player, you know, but he, he's a DN. You're right. You know, he's, You're right. Right. he's a rush maniac you know what I mean he could still play he's he's a great enough athlete he could definitely play in the field but it's not it's it's just a different form of linebacker yeah you know in my opinion and you know and I'm a fan of Derek Thomas and and uh, Lawrence Taylor and those guys as well played in that 3-4 defense but you know a lot of times those guys are you know DNs DeMarcus Ware and guys like that and so I played more of a traditional weak side inside linebacker position that they, you know, they kind of stuck that on me being the only thing that I can do. And uh, that minimized the amount of jobs there were for me. And so, you know, I floated around or I was at the house and I got called out to a Broncos workout throughout that season. And they ended up not signing me. And, um, and then I signed with the bears later on that year. And uh, I don't believe that was much of an opportunity at all. Uh, maybe it was just to see me, but I never got to touch anybody. You know, when you're when you're on practice squad in the middle of the season, all the players are just trying to make it to next week healthy. Right. And so they don't want you to run too fast. They don't want you to do too much. You're not going to earn a spot today. You know, you're going to do what's on the card. You're going to do it slow enough so you don't make me look bad and just prepare us for Sunday. We don't care about nothing else. And so, you know, I'm doing what I'm told throughout these plays and throughout, you know, and uh, they ended up cutting me. And I was very disappointed. I got a real taste of the NFL at this point because, you know, I'm preparing. I'm the whole time uh, I signed a I signed a futures contract after the season. And as soon as I signed, you know, I'm like, I can't wait until I get to camp because then I'll get a chance to actually play. Right. Get some more reps. And they, yeah. And they can see what I can do because the type of player I am, we got to go full go. You know, I'm Absolutely. an undersized linebacker. So when you see me running around, I don't look, I don't, I'm not going to impress you. You know, I don't, uh, I don't pass the eyeball test, you know? And so when you see me running around undersized, it doesn't look like much, to be honest. And then when we put all the pads on and and blow the whistle, then, you know, it's a different side of me that can come out. But um, the Bears, 
they re-signed me and they kept me through January, February, March when all free agents are getting signed. And then, you know, somewhere around mid-March before we were going back for OTAs, they released me. And uh, I couldn't understand why, you know, I re-signed and then went back home. And I'm like, man, so now all the teams that were interested in signing me, they had all turned their focus to the NFL. I mean, to the draft. And so once their focus went to the draft, that left me out of a job. And then the UFL happened to be starting that same year. And so, you know, the timing on it was nice. Um, I went to one UFL workout. They signed me on the spot. And I was excited. And, you know, I, I did that in hopes of getting more NFL workouts. But it just never panned out like that. I still played. But, you know, it sucked that I was only playing special teams in the UFL. I, they had me... Um, yeah, we you were you were a monster on special teams. Looking at your uh, highlights, man. Yeah, I made it. You know, and that's the thing. I you know I have fun with it. You know, and I realized that was going to be my my way back into the NFL. I ended up not getting a workout, but you know I played behind Teddy Lehman. You know. Oh yeah, Oklahoma. Guy. So you know it was. I wasn't I wasn't behind a slouch. You know he had won the Belichick Award, not the Belichick. But the uh, Bednarik, Dick Buckus, Bednarik. Uh, yeah, the Bed. One of those, I bet. <laughs> one of those, yeah. Bednarik or the Buckus Award, you know, and um, and I respected him as a as a linebacker, so I didn't mind being behind him. But of course, I would have enjoyed more time on the defensive side of the ball. But it was fun. I enjoyed my career. We played there three years, won two championships, and. Uh, I got out actually right in time. My linebacker coach from Fresno State, the guy who recruited me, Tom Mason, who is my mentor and I still have a close relationship with to this day. He was at SMU at the time and he he called me and he said, hey, I know you're still playing ball. I have an opportunity for you. They're allowing me to bring in a couple more GAs. And I'll give you about 30 days to make a decision. And so, you know, I kind of tossed and turned over it. And I felt like after year three, I still didn't have any NFL workouts. So I didn't want to become a career UFL guy. And uh, I decided to take the opportunity at SMU. And the UFL actually ended up folding that year. And so I was glad I made that decision. to the flow theory podcast you can listen to our podcast on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher spotify and tune in